New Testament lesson today comes from 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Please stand for the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson today comes from Matthew 10, 40 through 42, and Matthew 18, 1 through 6. Listen carefully. Whoever welcomes you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person in the name of a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous. Whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a child whom he put among them, and said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If any of you cause one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for you if a great millstone were fastened around your neck and you were drowned in the depth of the sea. You may be seated. Mm. Did you hear that? The word of God for the people of God. Wow. Mm. I'll have some more comments about that in just a moment. But did you see them royals yesterday? Oh. Now, I'm not a big Royals fan, I mean, baseball fan altogether. My wife watches them religiously, bless her soul. Anyway, uh, but uh, she compelled me to watch with her a little bit yesterday, and um, boy, I was glad I did. And it reminded me, just like church, you don't want to leave before the benediction. (laughs) Because the Royals came back from being down six, going into the seventh inning. And they won it by the, the hit of a rookie, the, uh, his first Major League Baseball hit, breaking a losing streak. How good is that? Go back and watch the tape. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good, yeah. Yeah, well, um, now about the millstone tied around the neck and drowned in the heart of the sea, I must confess, that's what I'd like to do with the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm human, come on, give me a break, but I can't stand what they did. Have you been watching that? The Southern Baptist Convention had their annual meeting in New Orleans this week. 11,000 delegates, all of them men. I don't know if there were any ladies there or not. I don't think there were. They're all men. And you know what they did? They kicked Rick Warren's church 
Saddleback out of the Southern Baptist Convention because they ordained some women as clergy. They kicked another church out as well. And even when Rick Warren himself was a part of the appeal process on the floor of the convention, they uh, voted to expel them from the denomination. And then they had the heartless audacity to vote to ban women from being pastors, teachers, and leaders over men in the church. Yeah, what were they thinking? They weren't thinking at all. Well, they were leaning on one thing Paul said when Paul mouthed off in the New Testament and said women are to keep silent in the church. But that was only one place. Do your biblical scholarship, which even Rick Warren says he he used to think like that, but he did his biblical scholarship, and he's come to think way differently that God includes everyone. There is no distinction. If it weren't for women preachers, we wouldn't have heard about the resurrection. For who heard about it first and who went and proclaimed? And that's what preaching is all about. Proclamation of the good news. So, I'm thinking millstones. (laughs) Lord, forgive me for millstones. Because I think When we talk about hospitality, God shows no partiality. And God has uniquely gifted each one of you, whether you're male or female, whether you're young or whether you're old, whether you're a saint or whether you're a sinner, God has uniquely gifted each one of you and all of us with the ability to change the world and to proclaim God's love. That's what it's all about. Now, I haven't always been merciful. I probably, in in my early years, was more legalistic and uh, works righteousness oriented than I am now. I reserve the right to grow up. Except as I grow older, I refuse to grow up in some ways. (laughs) But I would like to think that my eyes have been opened. And one of the experiences I wanted to share with you was an experience in hospitality that I had while I was serving as a pastor in Lyons, Kansas. I was proud to be the pastor of the Lyons United Methodist Church for seven years from 1988 to 1995. And while I was there, I participated in the Ministerial Alliance, and uh, they elected me to be the uh, treasurer of the ministerial alliance, which meant that in that place, I was the one who responded to needs of transients that would pass by and needed housing or needed food and this kind of thing. And um, I got to do that quite a little bit, and it was something I was passionate about. Um, But one experience changed my life forever. His name was Harold. When I first met Harold, 
he had a shovel. You know, just a regular garden shovel. He carried it with him everywhere he went. One day, this man in his 60s with very soiled clothes, messed up hair, had an overcoat on and his shovel in hand. He came into the office to ask for help. He sat down on the vinyl bench there in the office, and I was glad it was vinyl. He said he was passing through town and needed some coffee money. Oh, yeah, I've heard that many times. And maybe a place to stay for the night, so he looked like he'd been drinking. He was red in the face, he was sweating, and he was slurring his words. His name was Harold, he said. He was a veteran. It was a bit hard to understand him. And since I was the treasurer, I got him a a, a room for the night, and we arranged to get him some food. He walked everywhere, and his shoes uh, told that story because the sole was coming off of one of them, and they were very well-worn and uh, well-used. No car, no bicycle. I helped him out. We help transients all the time, and then they're on their way. But the next day, he was back. But not before I observed him walking down the street. Now, Harold had a distinctive walk, uh, probably because he he usually had a a certain level of inebriation that was a part of his experience. He was a little bit hunched over with this heavy coat in the middle of the summertime, and he would take a, a couple of steps forward and one back. And then he'd take two more steps forward and then one back. And then he'd turn around and he'd take two steps forward, one back, turn around. And when he'd come to some weeds in the cracks in the sidewalk, he'd take his shovel and he would shovel the weeds out. A noble adventure. And he came back. And I I helped him again. And uh, then I had the opportunity to help him again. Well, eventually, the, you run uh, to the end of the rules of the Ministerial Alliance. And I told him, I said, uh, we couldn't help him anymore. Well, just take me to the city limits. I'll go to the next town, he said. So with a can of Lysol in one hand and uh, opening the door with the other, he loaded him in my car, shovel and all, and I took him to the city limits, the south end of town. And I let him off. And he said, I'm on my way. Long story short, he was back the next day. (laughs) I would say he definitely had some special needs. I would say he probably uh, suffered from PTSD, having served in the military. He never really would share that story, except he was terrified of the government, terrified of the police. Oh, don't call the police. Uh, He was terrified of of anybody in authority. And um, he he loved his whiskey, and he used his coffee money to buy more. Uh, I don't think anybody bought him any whiskey, but they gave him coffee money, and that's what he used it for. Well, we discovered in time that he had uh, some veterans' benefits, and so uh, we were able to get him a room by the month in a little motel at the east end of town. And he would walk there, and every day you'd see him back downtown. And we'd take him food, and the motel would clean his room occasionally. Um, But when you went to see him, and I would go to see him once in a while, 
Uh, you didn't want to sit down on anything because the room was soon a disaster. Now, the, the community gradually grew weary of Harold, and I, quite frankly, was a little bit too. We'd run to the end of our benevolent monies, and um, it seemed like the lot had fallen to me to take care of him. So I tried just about everything. I tried lecturing him. I tried speaking down to him and, and scolding him. Uh, I took him to the edge of town again and told him to go on his way. And you know what? Nothing worked. He always came back. And one day it dawned on me, and it was a valuable lesson. I said, Harold doesn't have anybody else in this world, but he has me. I'm about the only one that was helping him at the frequency that I was doing. I decided, you know, I'm going to treat him like my grandpa. And I gained a grandfather that day. And I developed a motto that I've held on to this day in working with Harold. And that motto is, I'd rather help someone and find later that it was a mistake than not help them and find later that it was Christ knocking at my door. That's where I learned that motto. And I have used that to this day. I got, so I checked on him weekly. I'd go out to his room. I'd take him places. I made sure he had enough food to dilute the liquor he had to consume. I never bought him any liquor, but he always seemed to find it. His coat was in bad shape. It was in such bad shape. It was dumpster material. And so I went and I bought him a brand new coat and I made sure it had lots of pockets in it because that's where he carried his whiskey and, 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 and his gin. So he'd have pockets to carry it in. He was very grateful, but he wouldn't wear it. I like my old coat. Thank you very much. Motel owner worked with us to care for him. The police department didn't know what to do, and any time there was an issue, they knew that Reverend Brooks over there at that Methodist church, call him, and there were times I'd go and pick him up. And I'd love on him as as hard as that was. Well, life went on for some time. I don't remember how long, but I think it was close to a year when he was with us. It got so over time, he wouldn't stay in his motel room at night, preferring to just lay down and sleep wherever he landed. And that wouldn't be so bad, except it happened one night when it was snowing out. Now, I think over the time that we experienced Harold, the alcohol and a little bit of age and, and abject poverty um, probably reduced his cognitive abilities. But one cold and snowy night, the police had gotten a call that they'd seen a vagrant sleeping on the steps of a business downtown, and he had a shovel. And so they knew who it was, and they went, and they picked him up. They brought him over to the jail, uh, and they ended up locking him up because they didn't want him wandering off and going out to freeze himself to death. But the next day, public safety said something had to be done. 
for what? With the help of the Rice County Sheriff, the veterans facility in Topeka was found to be a place that would take him and help keep him safe. He wanted to go to the old soldier's home, he said, from time to time. That's the one out by Dodge City. But he didn't want to go now. And so the next day, they called upon me to use all the trust capital that I had built up with Harold to talk him in to the back seat of the sheriff's cruiser. And I did just that for his own safety. And I talked him in. I'll admit, I lied a little bit. But we got him into the back seat of that cruiser. And when you shut the doors on those cruisers, you can't open them from the inside. And the sheriff's deputy said, get in. I got in. Have you ever driven a car from Lyons to Topeka, Kansas at 80 to 85 the whole way? (laughs) Got to do it. And she'd just wave at the highway patrol as we'd go by. She knew them all. And we took Harold to Topeka. All the while, I was trying to calm him down and help him be open to the help that was being delivered. We dropped him off. And finally, he would be safe from the elements and in some sense, safe from himself. Well, as HIPAA would have it, I lost track of Harold because he didn't have the presence of mind to sign a permission slip to allow me to visit. My hope is that his prayers and mine were answered that he eventually got to go to the old soldier's home in Dodge City. I treated him like a grandpa. Now, that was 30 years ago, and so I, I could treat him like a grandpa. Now, I am that grandpa. And I've often wondered what happened to Harold with the shovel. But I no longer wonder the difference this man made in my life. He never came to church. He never accepted my invitation. He didn't want a lot of the help that we gave him. He just wanted what he wanted. I've often wondered, but I'm sure that as the years have gone by, he's now in a very safe place where light and, and uh, brilliance and cognitive abilities are very uh, bright. God rest his soul. But I learned some valuable lessons that I'd rather help and find it was a mistake. And yes, some of the money I gave him probably was a mistake. But I also found that Harold with the shovel was one of the least of these. And for me, it was Christ knocking at my door. Now spin all that around to say that that's what our scripture lessons were talking about. That's what this whole thing called hospitality is all about. Showing hospitality to strangers because we might be entertaining angels unaware. And the writer of 1 Peter said, be hospitable, hospitable and don't grumble about it. My mom always taught me that. I didn't always do that. And Jesus would Say, whoever gives even a cup of cold water to a little one 
is giving me a cup of cold water. And hellfire and damnation on those who would cause one of these, least of these, to fall into sin. Or to fall, period. That it would be better to have a millstone tied around their neck and cast into the heart of the sea than to allow them to continue to hurt other people. Maybe I'm just rambling now in my old age. But we don't have any room left except to be kind to one another. Which leads me to a little list that I have made. I, I took a notepad and I've been making some notes as I uh, diminish so that another may increase. Some advice to Aldersgate. I shared this with the church staff and they said, yeah, share it with the congregation. It's okay. But it's some advice that I would like to leave to you. And the first one is, continue the culture of kindness that you have cultivated over the years. The culture of kindness that helped start this congregation 47 years ago. And by the way, this congregation started the same year I started Continue that culture because that has what is what makes and has made you strong. One of my favorite verses is Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Keep it up. You've done wonders. And as you try to close the gap on, on who we're missing by what we do well, I wish you the very best. You win more with a spirit of kindness than you do with judgment and gatekeeping. So keep it up. You're doing great. Second thing is, be the grace you want to see in the world. The Apostle Paul said, it's for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. By grace, salvation comes. By grace, he stretched out his arms. That's why when I get all worked up about things like the Southern Baptist Convention, it's because I don't see God's grace happening to the least, the last, the marginalized, and the capable. Be the grace you want to see in the world. Grace attracts more people than gatekeeping and works righteousness. It does. Dale Carnegie once said, and I've remembered this all through the years, if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. If you want to gather honey, be nice to the bees as they swirl around you. Third, remember that diversity is good. It's okay to have folk who sit next to you on Sunday morning who think differently than you. Think what it'd be like if we all drove pink Volkswagens. <laughs> ah. Now, if I offended someone because you drive a pink Volkswagen, my apologies. 
What I'm saying is, if you want to know what God is like, get acquainted with as many people as possible who think differently than you, who look differently than you, who smell differently than you. I wish all of you could meet Harold with a shovel. He will transform your life. We can embrace the person who is different. And that's what Jesus did when he stretched out his arm. Now, I've got a list of things to do when the new pastor comes and things not to do. (laughs) Can I share these? All right, things to do when the new pastor comes. Meet Nancy. We got to see uh, uh, Pastor Mitch. When Nancy, his wife, comes, invite her, but know she can't say yes to every invitation. And besides, you've hired Mitch, not Nancy. Pass a note to your new pastor introducing yourself, but put your name on it. (laughs) I've got a small stack of anonymous notes. From the church is too cold, the church is too hot, the organ plays too loud, the organ plays too soft, the music's too fast, the music's too slow, the pastor's awful. (laughs) I've gotten those too. Put your name on it and say something nice. And then if you go to the hospital or have some surgery, tell the pastor. Yeah, okay, because they, they can't chase the wind. They can't read your mind, and no, hospitals don't call. They haven't for decades. And then wear your name tag. I'm so pleased how many are doing the name tags. And uh, it's okay if you left yours in your car or forgot it at home. Now we have a place to keep them. (laughs) We have a place to keep them. And so you can do that. Wear your name tag. And then when you greet the new pastor, say your name so he'll know how to pronounce it. Yeah, okay. And there are multiple ways to do the same things. Be open to try something different. Which leads me to things not to say to the new pastor. Well, Gary did it this way. (laughs) I know how to haunt you, even though I'll be a fireman. I'll be from afar. Or here's another one I've heard, I've heard uh, multiple times. I've been a member for 50 years, and I give thousands of dollars to the church, so you should listen to what I want. (laughs) Or here's another one. This has happened in in, in every church I've been in. It has. When Beware of the first person that's in your office (laughs) when you show up. Uh, New pastor. I want you to fix the things I don't like around here or else I'm leaving. You know, as I've gotten older and hopefully wiser, don't let the door... (laughs) Or don't say, I wish I had a job like you one day a week. (laughs) That would be wonderful. Or here's another one. Can I have a couple of minutes of your time just before the service? <laughs> oh, here's the one. Uh, the, the, the ambassador who comes to the office and says, Pastor, um, 
I came to bring a concern that many people are sharing about. They're telling me about this. Well, who are they? Oh, well, I've told them I would keep this in confidence. That usually means there's only three people. <laughs> me, myself, and I. Don't do that to him. Oh, and one more. You know that big church down the street? They do it better than we do. <laughs> oh, I love you guys. This would be a whole lot easier if I was angry with you, but I'm not. We've had a blast. We've come a long ways, and this church is in a really good place. Thanks to a wonderful staff, uh, to, to all of your hard work, and to your prayerful consideration of serving the least, the last, and the lost. Amen.